0: Welcome to the Sticky CMO, brought to you by award-winning marketer Tom Baskill. This is the podcast for CMOs who want to become indispensable. Each week, Tom is joined by expert guests on the cutting edge of their fields to help you level up where it matters, from socials to lead gen. Each episode is packed with actionable tips for marketers looking to become irreplaceable in their organizations, because 2023 is the year to become sticky. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Sticky CMO. My name is Tom Baskill, and today I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Dana Gardner. Dana is the president and principal analyst at Inner Arbor Solutions, an enterprise IT analysis, market research, and consulting firm. His experience covers AI, cloud, DX, cybersecurity, and, and much, much more. His online influence is legendary. He's got an audience across Twitter and LinkedIn that's nearing about 200,000 folks. And he has some real wisdom to share for CMOs and marketing leaders on the art of content creation and thought leadership to bring attention to their business. Dana, how are you doing today? Doing really well. Nice to be with you, Tom. Oh, it's excellent to have you. It's excellent to have you. One of the things that I've seen in B2B, and, you know, I've only been in B2B for maybe 15 years, so you've got twice the time on me. One of the biggest changes I've seen is this new need that's emerged, and it's really for the need to be an influencer online you as a CMO and marketing leader being an influencer. So I wanted to kind of ask and and start out with, what does it mean to be an influencer in today's B2B world?
1: When you're in a B2B environment, the influence is really about information that's valuable and that's relevant to what the issues are that people are going through in their business. So much of social media these days is around entertainment or celebrity worship or what you had for dinner and Ironic thing is, is I've been around long enough and you have too, to remember that this social media stuff kind of started on the business side. Twitter started out really just a, among sort of Silicon Valley people or a niche. And so you have to be aware that we're sort of in a muddied environment and in influence that to be a B2B influencer, you have to stay close to your knitting, if you will, without getting overlapped into other areas that people would find a waste of their time. So one of the challenges is to remember that influence is important, always has been. This is really kind of an extension or an extrapolation on word of mouth of trusted Mm -hmm. sources, people that are in your domain or your cohorts that you would go to for advice. Nowadays, that domain is virtually unlimited. You have 8 billion potential other people that you could communicate with, but who is going to give you something that doesn't waste your time? And so as an influencer, you want to present trusted information in a way that people can digest, that's relevant to them, that they will recognize as a business or a value rather than a distraction.
0: So how do you balance being personable and friendly and being a real person and also making sure that you're not wasting your audience time and you're giving them the information that, that they care about?
1: Sure. So whenever I'm creating content, I have sort of a hierarchy. You might think of this as sort of a ripoff of Maslow's hierarchy in that I always put the audience first. And whether it's organic content, sponsored content, whether it's a customer testimonial, a round table with experts, the first and foremost thing in my mind while I'm planning and executing on that content is the audience and relevancy to them and value to them. And if you stick to that as your priority, many other things sort of fall into place. And another thing that's important is to focus on a problem-solution tension. People like to hear things as a story, as a narrative. We've all been brought up with content that starts with a, an introduction. So there is gonna be questions in people's minds, but you wanna to go to the right question. And so if you present to them, you know, here's an issue in the market, here's a problem that needs to be solved, you can set them up, get their attention, they'll know immediately whether, oh, that is a problem that's relevant to me, I'm going to stick around, or actually, you know, I've solved that problem, or this isn't the right content for me, you want to give them an exit opportunity right away. This is not information that's relevant to me, but I'm sure it's relevant to others. The people who stay, you need to then take on a journey. How do you solve the problem? How did other people solve the problem? And what did they get for it? So that's sort of a kind of guiding principles for content that keeps people focused. Stick to your priorities of who you're trying to provide that content for. Come up with a problem, solution, narrative, and then execute on it.
0: And you've touched on this, but talking about word of mouth, but why is kind of building this online influence so critical for marketing leaders to succeed in their role? Because one thing that I'm trying to do is, you know, a CMO doesn't stay at their job very long. And the idea is that how do they become sticky? How do they stay as long as they want before they exit? So how can online influence help them in, in their career and, and getting the bottom line for their, for their organization?
1: Right. So if you look at the history of marketing and advertising and B2B communications and influence and sales over the past 10 years, we've lost a lot of tools. Print advertising is essentially gone. Trade magazines are essentially gone. We still have online sites, but they're all about attention. They're all about getting page views for advertising. And sometimes a lot of the online media and business topics these days has lost track of that primary goal that I mentioned, which is your audience. So marketing and advertising have gone from a plethora of options 10 years ago to much fewer. So what has kicked in while we've lost things, On one hand, through technology and social churn and change and pandemics, we've also gained things. We've gained things in digital domain and we've gained things through social media. So people are willing to give up information about themselves on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on TikTok, and we can take advantage of that. Now, perhaps the lion's share of that traffic is about celebrities or social interactions or dating or finding friends or interests. There's still a capability in a subset that is business to business and that we can take advantage of. So you need to have that online presence. You need to have influence and find markets of people who are potential customers through your ability to create content, create dialogue, attract their attention, because there are so few other alternatives. So we have to take advantage of the things we've gained as a way of trying to assuage the damage from the things we've lost.
0: That's a great point. I've had clients in the past, they're like, here are the 15 people that I need to influence in the whole United States and no one else is going to buy, right? And you used to go to a trade show and those 15 people would be there. So I do love that, that idea of, you know, social has become this opportunity, but we have lost other things. So you really have to go all in and becoming an influencer online. and And I don't just mean getting eyeballs, but really having people interact and be interested in what you're saying.
1: You have to give to get. So you have to be able to give value. You have to make their time worthwhile spent with you, and then you can perhaps leverage that into a relationship and maybe even a business relationship. But that value and that giving has to come first. Just a fact of life.
0: And you mentioned the pandemic, and I feel like a lot of marketers are burnt out, not just from their jobs, but from everything that's happening around them in society. So like in a practical sense, what could a burned out CMO do to start building their personal brand without adding more stress or, or perhaps without spending a few hours every day, you know, building it? Where, where should they start?
1: So I remember a conversation I had with a startup leader about 20 years ago during the first Silicon Valley boom in the late 90s. And they said one of the most important things for them as a small startup business leader was to know when to say no. And that means that this is what we're doing. This is our tasks. These are our priorities. And if we put too much on that plate, we're not gonna do anything very well. We have to know when to say, this isn't relevant to our core mission at this time. So triage and not overextending and not being diminished by tasks that don't deliver much in terms of payoff, return on investment of your time and energy. While we've gained and lost things, as we talked about in terms of functions and resources for marketing and sales, We've lost the ability to focus, so much distraction. And one of the downsides to being virtual is that you've got so many different potential windows that you can be looking at. So there's a like distraction of content and attention, but there's also a distraction from technology. We don't have a single desktop or a single app that we live in. Back in the day, I used to live in groupware, and it had everything. I had communications, I had my core apps, I had access to data, and I could collaborate. But I was in the same app all the time. Now I've got 15 or 20 apps, and the distraction from that in itself is rather daunting. So you need to be able to perhaps triage what your core mission functions are, but you also need to triage your technology and your extension into different apps with different logins and authentication and different browsers for some reason, or what's compatible with not because the major cloud providers are not doing systems integration for us. We have to be our own systems integrator. We have to integrate so much in order just to do basic functions that you spend, what, somewhere between 20 and maybe 50% of your time getting to the point where you can actually work. That's a burnout, frustration factor that I think is underappreciated and underacknowledged.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, social media can add to that. You have multiple apps. I always tell folks to just focus on one platform first. Just do that. Ignore everything else. Don't worry about it. For most B2B marketers, it's going to be LinkedIn and just focus there. If you were to choose LinkedIn, where would you start trying to build your influence?
1: Right. So we need to not only talk about where we start, but where we finish because Mm. one of the things that's changed is the rate of change. So while LinkedIn may have been a place you'd go to post your resume just a couple of years ago, now it's where you're doing marketing and finding customers and you're nurturing them and you're spending money as if it's an advertising platform but it's a sales platform. But who knows, in six months, LinkedIn might not be, we might be using an AI chatbot instead. So not only do you have to be aware of where you're spending your time, but you might have to spend your time somewhere else very quickly. So we're not only trying to reduce the number of spinning plates, but we're gonna be changing those plates. Nothing stays the same in this business. Massive changes can happen very quickly. So yes, focus on what's working now, but don't lock yourself into it. Don't put on blinders that says, I'm only gonna be doing LinkedIn and that's my foreseeable future. You need to be thinking about what's the next best big thing. We have to reinvent ourselves constantly.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how CMOs can bring attention to their company, how they can boost their bottom line through leveraging analysts and influencers. What is like an example of how industry analysts can help boost the credibility of a business's offer?
1: Right. So there's a very wide spectrum of ways that influencers and industry analysts can impact and interact with markets. But what's essential and what's the still common thread is their knowledge And the ability for them to impart value. And so, creating the core nub of value or content is sort of the same, like we were talking about with narratives, you know, and the way that the mind works. That's a constant. But what you can do with the content once you've gathered it there's a a wide variety and that changes and that will continue to change. So identifying who the people are that know your market and your audience best, creating relationships with them, understanding their business model. So, you know, like your uh, journalism professor told you college, you'll follow the money, you know, understanding how an industry analyst firm works. Some of are subscription businesses, some of them are consulting on a contract basis businesses. Others are looking for opportunities to speak in public or create content. They're in the business of being a media company themselves in some ways. So you want to find who the people are that know your business. You want to create a relationship with them and they want to understand how they operate so that you can find common ground between your objectives and their objectives. But none of that will work if you don't have somebody that can talk in a way and deliver content in a way that would be of value and interest to your core audience, your prospects, and your installed base
0: you need to really think about what the outcome is that you're looking for, because every analyst and influencer is not the same, and they all have different expertises, and not just in the industry, but in how they produce content or how they analyze what their influence is. I always think that it's important, especially when you're in the startup space, is to leverage influencers and analysts because they have credibility, because they've been doing this and they have worked for other companies, so that kind of credibility
1: can rub off on you. And credibility and influence have a relationship. You're not gonna have influence if you don't have credibility. You can have credibility without influence, but very rarely do you have ongoing, sustained influence without credibility. Somebody can have great things to say, but if no one's listening and they can't get the word out, that's not so great. But somebody who has a million viewers but doesn't have anything to say won't be a value either, but they probably won't have a million viewers for very long. So you look for people that have had a long, sustained, consistent influence followership. That means people are coming back for a reason. They're not wasting their time. So you want to find that right mix between knowledge and influence, and they're out there. But there's a certain conundrum when it comes to analysts too. When you're a hot analyst in a field, all of a sudden you're in great demand and you have much less time. There is a finite amount of work that an analyst can do in any 24-hour period. And so therefore, they're going to triage and they're going to look for the accounts that are paying the most, that accommodate their business model or their employer's business model best, and they're going to let the rest of the business slough off to the side. So, sometimes you've got some rock star analysts and you might be able to get their attention or work with them briefly. But then there's also boutiques, and, and so perhaps a tier down from the rock star level, people who are actually going to be able to work with you, spend time with you, that might not have that large of influence. But collectively, if you've got two or three of them, you could have a very large influence. So, there's a sort of a conundrum about the most popular people will give you the least amount of time. And then the people who have the time might not have the most influence, and you have to create a balancing act around that.
0: This comes into, you know, what a good content strategy is. And a content strategy is is really becoming important to the health and success of a business, especially a B2B tech business, because there's a lot of VC funding in the space which goes directly to advertising. And advertising can be glutted. There's only so many industry websites that you can put a pop-up on. In your experience, what are the key components of like a strong content strategy for a B2B tech business?
1: Yeah, I think it's important for companies to recognize that they're also media companies. They're not just creating software or hardware or business services or consumer services. They're not just uh, financial transaction purveyors, they're also publishers. And when you accept that as part of your DNA as a company, that it's embedded in your mission that we will publish, that we will create content, That's an important essential step. That's a KPI that I would recognize and then incentivize around. And that means you have to bring people into your organization who are publishers, who have experience with media and content and narrative and the process of post-production to production to influence to distribution to paid to unpaid and organic. But once you've established that capability and you recognize it as a value, you can use that in so many ways. You can educate your own workforce using those capabilities. You can educate your prospects and your help desk people for not only sales, but for fulfillment and support. You can find alliances and partners. So, all the f- core business functions within your company can probably avail themselves of that publishing function if it's there. So, I think you need to look at this from a holistic perspective as a modern business that having a publishing, having a media savvy capability is core. But if it isn't centralized and if it isn't prioritized, then it's always out on the periphery and you're re- doing redundancies and you're being ineffective. So it is challenging, but the benefits can be very, very substantial. Companies that take publishing as a core competency can find themselves media savvy, digital savvy, able to educate their workforce, able to reach out to their prospects, use things like social media or whatever the new next thing is. I just think it's an essential competency and it doesn't have to be just big companies. You can be a staff of five people, but one of those people should have some ability to do publishing and media and create content and use it across a variety of business functions.
0: What mistakes do you tend to see marketing leaders make around their content strategy and distribution?
1: I see them reinventing the wheel many times that they don't have a central communicated repository approach that things are done on a peripheral basis with whiteboards and sticky notes that it isn't built in as a platform, if you will, within their organization. And so without a core chief content officer or chief publishing function of some sort, their content is just being done haphazardly. And this is the same pitfall that we find with lots of functions, but I think it's a core function. And because you can use content in so many different ways, whether it's your support and help desk, whether it's your sales and marketing, whether it's your research and data gathering for understanding your markets and pursuing your next business objectives, why wouldn't it be core? But if you're everybody's doing their own content, just like if everybody's doing their own cloud procurement, then you've got redundancies and you've got overspend and you've got deficits as to where we need content or we don't have it. So I think a lack of coordination, understanding and treating it as a centralized function that extends to different business features rather than each all kind of going at content on their own. That's a big problem that's fairly common and persistent. And you've served as director of content, as
0: a head of content. So you have actual on the ground experience of managing this in companies and, and the critical importance of that. Do you have any case studies that you could share of how this has helped a business when you've, you've been in there? And-
1: yeah, it's kind of interesting. As an industry analyst, I haven't analyzed the role of being an industry analyst when it comes to content, <laughs> been too busy making content. Mm-hmm. But I would say there's sort of like three hats that you have to be able to wear. One, you have to understand the market and the content. So you need to have some domain expertise. You have to know what you're talking about or get to the people who do know and interview them properly, which means you, do, you, know, you can't interview somebody without kind of knowing what the answers are already going to be. You have to ask the right questions. You also have to be media capable. So you have to be able to produce, record, create scripts, create discussion guides, walk people through the process and then take those raw video, audio, text documents, and objects and work with them and put them into post-production and work with the CMS or the publishing system, and then be able to then push that out through an amplification process. So it's sort of like a funnel. You take the information in, you produce it, and then you would amplify it out. So that would include social media, marketing, public relations, internal marketing, and website development. And then the third leg on that stool is to have perhaps your own influence Network, And so if you have 200,000 followers, that helps prime the pump and that gets other people to pass this content along. That's a very powerful combination. Mm-hmm.
0: Are there any sort of like metrics or KPIs that would be useful to making sure that your content strategy is working?
1: Yeah, and those are changing too. They don't always stay the same, but you know, right now, raw numbers, about how many impressions, how many tweets and retweets, how many actual posts are getting made. So how much traffic and impact are you getting on the major platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter. But also I like to put in lots of embedded links that give me sort of empirical data on who's clicking back through what, or backlinks that can show you where your content is being absorbed or used or extended or amplified. So there are metrics that work. Instances where you're projecting your content and your influence, what those numbers are doing when they're on the major platforms, and then a qualified analysis of who's coming back through and what links they're using is to say which is the most effective type of content. There's also gonna be a certain amount of mystery. It's a bit of a black box, but there's also testimonials where you ask people, where did you hear about us? How did you get to this lead? When you ended up on our website, what brought you here and where did you go first and what was your experience? So you wanna ask the people and do your research about what works and what doesn't work.
0: Just to get technical, I think with GA4 coming out or being forced to come out in July, It might be harder to track these things, but it's still important to do them.
1: Right. So there's privacy and there's security issues. There is a certain amount of, I guess, you know, still instinct. We know that half of our advertising spend might be unfruitful or less fruitful than we'd like, but there's also going to be a certain amount of experimentation, trial and error, and trying new things, and then sloughing off old things when they're not paying off. And that's sometimes hard to do. So it was a constant evaluation, reevaluation and being willing to experiment and try things and, and maybe giving them a bit of runway before you turn them off.
0: Pivoting, going right, right back to pivoting is yeah. you can't say I invested 500k in this and it worked last year and it's not working this year. You might just have to cut your darlings. Yeah.
1: And that can be burnout too, right? So we're always reinventing ourselves. We're always reinventing how we're doing our jobs. And you ask, you know, why do people get burned out? Why do they get overextended? It's because there's so much change so frequently, you don't get a chance to catch your breath. You're always pushing that rock back up the hill. Yeah.
0: You know, I was gonna ask what are the challenges when creating and producing content? But I think we've already really talked about that in that you need to try multiple different things You need to have some sort of media production, either in-house or contracted, some sort of way to create this content, copy, scripts, graphics, video.
1: I've seen companies go in and create these advanced media studios in their headquarters building and spend tons of money. That might not be your best way to do content. You know, we've all become accustomed to doing conferences just like this. You can get so much done with a Zoom or other video conferencing application these days. Just get people to talk about what they love and what they know. Grab it as video, audio, make a transcript. Those are sort of core assets you can do so much with that you don't have to spend much money. I mean, for 15 bucks a month on Zoom, you're practically 80% of the way there in creating content. And
0: once you create this content, you can cut it up infinitely. And I think that that's something that folks forget. They create this evergreen pillar of content and forget that that is 25 social posts. And that's a video. And that's a graphic. And that's...
1: The creative and the tech, it doesn't have to be what your ad agency says. We're not creating Super Bowl ads here. We're creating content in a way that people are most now used to absorbing almost all of their content and collaboration. So don't overdo it on the tech, keep your costs low, but overdo it on the quality of the people that are speaking about the quality of the content that you're creating that's relevant to the audience you're targeting.
0: Mm-hmm. As a consumer, you can ignore quite a bit of poor video, poor audio, if the content is great, I mean, I don't care. Yeah. I, I that's The content is what I'm there for. The frills are are nice to have.
1: If I want pretty pictures, I can go on Netflix, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
0: Well, Dana, this has been really great. I feel like we've covered a, a lot of influence and industry analysts and how to bring content in and disseminate it. So I really just wanted to thank you for your time. This has been really, really helpful. Yeah, my
1: pleasure. Look forward to speaking to you soon. That'd be great. Always good to be in touch with you, Tom. Awesome.
0: So thank you for listening to The Sticky CMO. We're available on the podcast app of your choice as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to become indispensable to your organization, please visit us at www.tombaskill.com, spelt
1: B-A-S-G-I-L.